or she is now a 2D, 3D professional animator. She yeah. graduated from Vancouver Film School, and she is also just published her first novel, which in pre-order was a Amazon and Canadian bestseller, and it's very exciting. Barnes & Noble had um, ordered 450 copies of her yeah. book. Imagine how far you could have gone if you had some potential. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that's yeah, Jenny. So yeah, so that's that's what my book is all about. Yeah. It's it's the experiences of her her life right from when she was born to when we found out, and the dream team um, that we had that were such a great support. The love of a family, yeah. um, the silent hero, her dog Sparkles, and it just goes through you know what was what was done and and how as a family yeah. um i i just find it an engaging story for people to see the life of an autistic well, what, individual in their what, family what is, what is the experience of a parent who is told that uh basically you're you're at 3 years old your child really has no hope yeah well you know it's funny that day when the doctor said this because she had said she'll she'll never talk very well she'll never do very well in school um you know a lot of different things and i just remember because her grandma my mom was there and i just remember walking out of there saying that's not going to happen and i thought <laughs> and i thought what a way to talk to a parent yeah you know you've got enough going you're worried what's wrong with my child i there's all these things going on and i i i just not understand it and at that time that was 19 years ago i didn't under, i didn't know too much or even know about autism but i really feel that it's important at the beginning to give more of a positive perspective on it instead mm-hmm. of you know just dragging it down to avoid your daughter's not going to have much hope in life yeah. so it was very um hard at first but I'm the type of person I just walked out of there and said that and I pushed and I was never assertive but you have to become assertive you're their rock yeah you're the one they can't do it themselves so and you've had some help along the way you talked about your dream team yes you've had some teachers and some other support oh just great um Play therapist was awesome, um, mm-hmm. Fran Wood. Uh, speech therapist, Lisa O'Connor, Lisa O'Connor uh, Donahue. The support system, um, Nona was great, but big time, Rare Rabbit Daycare. Um, Darlene, their support worker, said, I think we'd really like to try her just in a normal daycare setting instead of going through a special needs one. Best thing that we ever did. Yeah. These people were loving, caring, genuine. We went to workshops together. They're still our, our best buddies. They're our second family. The respite care workers that looked after Jenny's to give a parent a chance to um, re-energize themselves mentally and physically were, were wonderful. The teachers at schools, I pushed for a lot of help. Um, mainly as Jenny got older, when she started writing this, this book when she was in high school, was her writing teacher, Liz Wahlberg, who said, you have got to publish this book. Mm-hmm. And then her other classmates were going... I don't even want to read ours. We, we want to read Jenny's. We, what's, what's going on next? So that really, to me, was an eye-opener for Jenny, and I think the confidence in her yeah. self-esteem was built up. So, And then her family, like myself as a mom, her dad, Travis, her brother, and then the silent hero who, sadly say, passed away, mm-hmm. um, was our dog, Mr. Sparkles. Yeah. Um, we had him for 14 years, and he was always there for Jenny. It was her best Was he life. really that silent, though? <laughs> He's a Jack Russell, so there you go. Uh, but a long-haired Jack Russell, he yeah. uh, he was um, quite entertaining, but really there for Jenny. As much as when she was having bad days, we were there. He he knew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Jenny, we've been talking about you like you're not here, but you are here. <laughs> yes, I'm here. <laughs> so I would like to know, um, when 
if you remember when it was that you uh, discovered animation and that was something that you wanted to do? Oh, I would say very at a very young age, and it was very was just like watching like my Disney shows, like uh, Fox and the Hound, and that, and then sometimes or Bambi, like, and then sometimes where they had like behind the scenes, and you just see, saw like the animators like flipping and doing like their work. I was like, wow, that is so cool. I would just so love to do that so much, and yeah, that. So you just started doing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Basically. Yeah. And uh, tell me about your book. I'm really interested in this book it, because it, first of all, the title fascinates me, Dysnomia. Mm-hmm. Now, I looked it up, and it has two different meanings, and both meanings are relevant. Yeah. The first meaning is uh, it's, it's, a, it's a form of uh, aphasia, which uh, basically means people can't remember words. And uh, it's, so it's a learning disability, and, but it's also the name of a moon yep, yeah, yeah. of a planet that I never heard of. Yeah called Eris, which is a dwarf planet. And and the the quote I got was that the discovery of Eris modified what it means to be a planet. Mm -hmm. And I found that really appropriate because what what you and your mom are doing kind of has redefined what it means to have autism. Mm -hmm. And and it just just all struck because this all makes sense. Yes. Yes. Now, am I just making stuff up, or does any of this ring true? No, you've hit the nail on the head, because that's one of the things. And, and one of her teachers that did a reference in my book said that Jenny's, because this is one of the brightest, brightest shining planet stars. Mm-hmm. And he said that's what he saw Jenny when she was in his room. Yeah. So, yeah, that was one of the reasons why, okay. why it was so appropriate for right. her book. So what, what, what is the story of the novel itself? What's the, what's the story that you're telling? Uh, well, it's about this independent girl named Layla Jenkins who wants to prove she can do anything a guy can. And she successfully does it by being the top royal commander in her town now. And then there's this bad guy named Nylerm attacking the town and no one knows why. So her and a few of her friends try to go stop him. And he traps in a buckle and drives them off a cliff. And so you think they're dead, but they're actually in this secret underground world. Uh-huh. So, and, yeah. and what's the underground world like? Ah, uh, very dangerous, very unknown to them. It's not safe for them because I guess the people wouldn't say they're uh they're just basically their enemies above mm-hmm. the world. So they're 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 struggling through to overcome all of this danger that's going on in the underground world. Yeah, that's basically trying to kill them. Because... Yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Which is a lot of very engaging, exciting, very unique characters animals landscapes yeah. scenarios yeah now it's 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 in book form right now any plans of putting it in into a film is that are you going to use your animation skills to tell that story as well yeah i would like to try to do that mm-hmm. uh, we're trying to get talk to disney yeah about it or dreamworks yeah we actually have a woman we just met recently who is going down to la yeah <laughs> and she's going to be seeing someone there from disney and she has her books, um, yeah. so she's going to pitch it. Well, I know that I know that when these things are in negotiations, you can't talk too much about yeah. it. But yeah. it sounds exciting. <laughs> and we send our books to Ellen, so yay, yay! You never Great, know. yeah. <laughs> oh, Ellen would love to talk to you yeah. guys. That'd be so cool. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we've got you each have a book. Uh, Janet's is the autism author and the animator. And it's an autistic, autistic author and animator. See, I, I have my own form of dysphagia. 
And then uh, yours is called uh, Dysnomia, Outcasts on a Distant Moon. Mm-hmm. And they've both been published. And the, the publisher is really interesting, too. Tell me a little bit about them. Well, Influence Publishing, um, Julie Salisbury, we met her on a conversation I had, because I'm an actress, too. So I had yeah. a conversation with my actor friend, Bernadette, and she told us um, that there was this event coming up. So we had met Julie. And it's like a self-publishing publisher, but we do our marketing, but they also help us with, you know, the marketing and the contracting with the books to different distributors. Mm-hmm. Um, what was really cool was when we first met them, they weren't really doing books like fantasy fiction and that. So we waited a year because Jenny was in animation school at VFS, but they were very interested in my book, which I told them, geez, I'd kind of like to write a book about my yeah. my daughter's life. And they were doing that type of books they were doing. So they got a hold of us a year later and said, we're with another, um, we're sort of paralleled with and gone with another um, publishing company as well. And, and so Jenny's book came into play. So, yeah, they've been very great, you know, supportive. And, and um, you know, they're, we're right now doing some, some book events as well. And we just did a, a touring book event in, in the Okanagan as well. Yeah. And you've got a book event tomorrow. Yes, we've got a book event, and it's open to the public. Love everybody to come. It's at the Grind Cafe, which is at the corner, just down the corner from Maine and Kingsway. It's 4124. Mm-hmm. Um, we would yeah, love... Yeah, it's around King Edward, actually. Yes, King yeah. Edward, Maine and King Edward. Yeah. We just love everybody to come down. We'd love to meet people. We're going to be seeing familiar faces, but be very happy to talk with everyone. And Great. And what's, as Jenny what's... said, what's going to be there, Jenny? Uh, there'll be cake. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm sold. <laughs> what time? Um, it's from 2 to 5. All right, terrific. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you both for coming in. Thank this, you this so was, much. This was marvelous. And, yeah. and have a great day tomorrow. And, and, and good luck in the future. And I hope we keep hearing about your stories, Jenny. And, and uh, Well, one thing I should let you know is she is, we can't say too much, but she is doing animation for a film for Super Channel come fall. So All right. I can't say what it's When like. you can say more... <laughs> You call me and, and <laughs> pass, you know send me an email and we'll pass it on. You bet. Thank Great. you. All right. Thank you both again. <laughs> books, books, books. All right. Welcome back to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver. Um, now, I don't know if you guys know this, but today is a holiday. What holiday is it, Jake? It, it's, uh, I, I learned this from looking at the internet. And it's a hashtag holiday called National Dog Day. Is hashtag holiday an actual term, or is that just something that we've brought into the vernacular now? I think it's a hashtag, actually. Hashtag holiday. Well, let me look this up for you. Well, tell us what Dog Day is about. Well, um, there's there's National Siblings Day. There's all these things, and I'm I'm quite sure that they're you know, kind of invented by by the social medias, so you just post pictures of whatever the thing is. So how do they decide which day is uh, is which? I don't know. Yeah, I think who, it's... Who determined it was Dog Day? Well, I think what people do is no one verifies it, and everyone sees other people posting pictures of their pets, and they're kind of, you know, they're not real holidays, so you don't have to remember it. So you never fact-check when National Dog Day actually is. So you just post a picture of your dog. It has its own website, though. National Dog Day. Presented by HG. Which nation? Holiday Guild. 
Which nation is Dog Day a national holiday? Well, let's let's look at the Holiday Guild. The Holiday Guild is the world's premier holiday creator. So this is what they do: is they just they create holidays. Create holidays. Behind the scenes are lifestyle experts, philanthropists, and investors who want to help make the world a better place. Celebration is HG's middle name. Home to some of the world's most popular worldwide trending holidays. Okay. I think a trending holiday is the same as a hashtag holiday. It doesn't have the hashtag in front of it. Yeah, okay, maybe not. Now, see, this is an exciting opportunity for CITR because we are about to launch a new website, but also HG owns hundreds of premium and creative holiday names for just about every topic available. So they have hypothetically bought out every potential holiday name, and we need to go license it from them if we want to make it a thing. Okay, now in uh, in our own way of celebrating National Dog Day, we're going to play a band from Halifax. It is, of course... We are not affiliated with Holiday Guild, though. No, we are not. But, but unofficially, well, we will. Uh, but we are going to hear somebody by Dog Day from Deformer. Somebody from their um, 2011 album, Deformer. They're from Halifax. Now, John, um, host of Cue It Up, is here in studio. Hello. And um, what uh, what did you venture into the world this week to uh, report on? I was waiting for you to say, because dogs. 
because on because on National Dog Day, International Dog Day, right? Okay, say, because you, dogs every time someone says hello. You, well, you found a list of how to. Yeah, and, and the twentieth entry there are, there are tw- it's a numbered list, and there are twenty things on this list, and the twentieth is say because dogs all day every time someone says hello. Hello, because dogs. Now, presumably, I'm going to be honest. I I only wanted to talk about National Dog Day so I could play Dog Day that on was the a nice art support. Song. Well, thank you. Um, but presumably we have real art to talk about. <laughs> real art. <laughs> uh, presumably, but you may be. So, no, uh, yeah. Uh, so two weeks ago now, because it wasn't last week. It was the week before last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, two weeks ago, Isaiah was in town, the International Symposium of Electronic Art. Uh, it was in Vancouver for the entire week. And this is a, it's a touring, like every year. Mm-hmm. It's so last year it was in Dubai. The year before that, I think it was in London. I'm not entirely i can check on the site later uh but yeah so it's it makes its rounds around the world international traveling symposium there is a bit of tourism there you know some literati types some artistic types will make their way over to vancouver as it is such a nice place to visit it's kind of a big deal uh, that it's here and a couple of weeks ago there was also there there was the um sound art walk through the park mm-hmm. uh, which was i believe associated with that's right uh, so, so yeah. one of the events i went to go see fuse which is of course uh, like uh, every few months uh the vancouver art gallery and they've been doing this for 10 years so this was the 10th anniversary of fuse uh every few months they'll throw like a multimedia party and there'll be live music and it's sort of a gathering and it's typically quite packed uh when i went to go see them when i went to fuse two weeks ago it was in collaboration with both uh, New Forms Media, which is this organization in Vancouver, which has been hosting the New Forms Festival right. for quite some time now, quite a few years. And that's become this really prominent electronic experimental music festival. In fact, last year, uh, they had their show at Science World. So for three days, uh, they would just use the entire space hmm. uh, for experimental music. And that was kind of like the apex. I think this year they were like, you know, we can't really keep chasing after something that big. Like we did it. So now we're going to focus on just doing more events around the year and events like partnering with Isaiah and the Vancouver Art Gallery in mm-hmm. this case. Uh, so the Fuse, which was the 10th anniversary Fuse, was partnered with Isaiah because Isaiah was in town, you know. Uh, and the theme of Isaiah this year as tying into the theme of Fuse this year, uh, was disruption. And they define that as sort of disruptive elements in everyday life, change, uh, residue, as in what gets left over in these uh, disruptive periods, uh, what, like, generative art. So there's a lot of uh, focus on computer-generated art, uh, programmatic art, things like that, in collage or music. Uh, glitch, it was a big deal too. And again, disruption going into the idea of using glitchiness as an artistic medium. Uh, body, embody, perform, embodied performance, and like sort of human error as well. Hmm. Uh, prototype plus DIY. I'm just going to start listing these off. <laughs> New text, science plus art, social spaces, colon, architecture plus cities. Was that cool? So, colon architecture? Colon architecture plus cities, not in the biological sense. Okay. In the, in the grammatical syn- yes, okay. syntactic sense okay uh so yeah lo- lots of lots of uh themes that really kind of intersect with a lot of what's being done in experimental electronic music this uh, very you know in the past few years 
uh, especially with the movement, sort of like the wider embrace of purely electronically generated music as opposed to music which is, uh, you know, has some acoustic component to it. And is recorded maybe digitally or, or mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, so for the Fuse event, and it was absolutely packed, if I did not see uh, a pair of friends in uh, just waiting in line, I would not have actually, I probably would have turned around because I wasn't feeling quite up for it, but I, I'm glad I ended up going in. And, uh, yep, we went down to the little mini concourse, you know, the ice skating rink where, right, which is right next to the UBC campus, uh, downtown. Uh, and that's where they had set up the music. So you could, if you were not, uh, you know, paying to get into the event because $20 is somewhat prohibitive, uh, you could, uh, definitely get a glimpse of the music from just over the railing and seeing kind of, and, and listening that way. Uh, and Ramsey, who is a local mainstay now, uh, was playing that night. She is from Quebec, but now she has moved to Vancouver. She's been doing sort of this dubby, uh, let's say dub, sort of down tempo, but with with a pretty solid BPM in their music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's very, I don't want to say generative, but it is definitely like evocative in the sense of evoking uh, lush ideas like generative nat- the generative aspects of nature so there's a lot of natural samples with digital encoding like just very very interesting stuff and she, she's become like she's becoming kind of a big deal uh she's getting coverage in wire magazine next month by with a very prominent author adam harper uh who covers a lot of new electronic music and that's a fairly big deal it's it's uh wire is a flagship magazine for the underground music community. Uh, so yeah, uh, she was opening and it was fairly sparse then. Uh, the night as it kind of, in, in at least the musical quarter, the night as it went on, sort of, you know, things filled out, more people came in. Uh, the second act, Attitudes and Error, was, uh, I, I wasn't able to find much information about them online. They seemed very discreet. Right. Uh, but it was an interesting sort of, ambient into brief spats of techno like noise performance very interesting and then after that like uh, mm, one could say or perhaps in buying into the whole uh institutional model of having a techno act at a heavily subsidized subsidized vancouver art gallery that it may not be disruptive at all only taking on the appearance (laughs) of disruption like like much of high fashion only takes on the appearance of disruption although Nothing that costs $3,000 could possibly be revolutionary in any sense of the word. I digress. Finally, Anthony Shakir, sorry, Shake Shakir, Shake being his uh, pseudonym, uh, a longtime techno producer from Detroit, very old school, very prestigious to have him performing in Vancouver. And uh, yeah, at that point, the crowd had filled out enough. It was a very cool, I'd say for the most part, fairly cool atmosphere. You know, uh, if you're heavily like, invested in the legitimacy of the club environment and i think there is a fair point to be made there that there is a sort of freedom of space in club environments that you cannot possibly access in a space like the vancouver art gallery uh then it wouldn't have worked for you but on the whole i thought it was a cool experience people were dancing it was nice uh Around the yes, uh, sorry. Uh, well, we, we you you mentioned to me earlier today that 
that you ventured into the exhibit, mm-hmm, the um, gallery proper, and and there was, I mean, you mentioned that a lot of this art was was based on glitch, human error, mm-hmm. and and of course disruptive computers. element. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it sounds like you had your own <laughs> hand in disruptive. I uh, can now art. say that me, Jonathan Q, I have had my art on display, and you know, I, I had some people assisting me, but uh, because I'm here to purport my own name and my own existence upon the world to project my importance over the air. I will now say that I, Jonathan Q, host of Q It Up, right. uh, has had their art featured in the Vancouver Art Gallery. Okay, what did you do? Uh, <laughs> okay, so actually, no. Uh, Tara Bigdelli, who is one of the photographers uh, for Discorder Magazine, also had a hand in this uh, it was not entirely of my own volition. But essentially, so on the third floor pavilion, it's absolutely packed everywhere in the Vancouver Art Gallery. I cannot express how just dense it was in there. Of course, there was room enough to, like, get around and breathe, obviously. But it was far too packed to actually go around and enjoy the exhibits in any natural way. Right. Uh, so <clears throat> in the third floor pavilion, there are four different kind of monitor-based installations. Uh, the one next to the one I was kind of interested in was, like, oh, can an artist create an algorithm that will tell you what stocks to invest in and I'm like huh but anyhow <laughs> so this one was basically a moving collage slash screensaver fixed to the screen there's a mouse and you could kind of like click on these image files at the bottom of the screen very cropped so you can access any of the files there's no keyboard so you can like do anything there but you could access like these little images you double click on them and those would just pop up like jpegs which you could then shut off if necessary uh, to continue viewing the collage. So the the interaction is that there's a collage on a computer screen mm-hmm. and you can click and open different mm-hmm. uh, images in, in, de- in detail. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to impress too much of like that is what it was necessarily because I hadn't been there earlier. Someone could have messed with the uh, installation before I did. As far as I could see, there wasn't any like super authoritative messaging anywhere near the exhibit. I could Mm -hmm. be incorrect, but I felt like it might have just been installed by a staff member and not particularly someone's uh, insistent piece of work. Uh, But so what happened was I kind of wanted to mess around with it because the theme was disruption and, you know, I kind of got bored of the collage. So, I, you know, you you have limited options. You can't, again, you can't really do much. The window is cropped. Uh, You can't extend the mouse beyond where it's cropped. Uh, so you can access any of that, and there's no keyboard. What I did do is I right-clicked, and I noticed that someone had left right bracket in the clipboard. So like the, you could, the one icon, mm, the right-facing bracket. The, the right square bracket. Yes. Uh, rectangular. And I, you could, so I saw you could search Google for right square bracket, and I clicked on that, and boom, it brings up the Chrome window with the entire, you know, list of Google search uh entries for right square bracket and it's all in russian because it's i guess it interprets it as cyrillic for some reason uh but yeah at that point uh i wasn't sure how to feel because you couldn't you couldn't get so this is the kicker you could not actually escape this screen there was no way to alt tab there's no keyboard there's no because of how the window was cropped and limit limited your mouse's ability to move you couldn't turn off the browser either it was essentially stuck there, and someone had to presumably come and reset. I don't think this ever happened, but someone had to presumably come and reset the 
entire installation for it to return normal. Maybe this was the intention. I don't know. So you went to Fuse, one of the most populated events at the art gallery. It happens every couple of months. And and you um, hijacked an installation and were able I, to I, I, I am Banksy. <laughs> the, the truth has to come out sometime. I am popular London okay. uh, graffiti, yeah. graffiti, taggered Banksy. And And you couldn't repair it you couldn't undo what you've done no uh so i walked away we slunk we slunked away in shame and uh came back five minutes later because our curiosity got the better of us and it was still there no one had fixed it no one had people were still looking at it as if it were they were trying to figure out what it was uh but it would just look like a google image search it was like how could anyone possibly derive anything from that so we saw that there was a youtube clip as one of the entries we clicked on that again all russian videos uh and on the sidebar, there's this video, like this 40-minute-long CGI movie about a bear and like a child and just super strange. So we so continuing the search. So this yes. is a Google search mm-hmm. of video for right-facing bracket, square bracket. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, it and we followed that to the YouTube, which then we followed a sidebar to another video. And then we blew that up to full screen and walked away. Uh, and as it turns out, this monitor had volume, so that some volume was projecting out of this uh, delightful production. And when we came back another three minutes later, and I have pictures. I can document that this actually happened. We had all sorts of literati and art-type people and just really, you know, yo pro, young professionals and, you know, serious academically-minded people too. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the most seriously academically-minded, but definitely people who— uh, who you know uh what was that dinner that happened last night that uh yeah the uh dinner en blanc mm-hmm. definitely these kinds of people those kinds of people. these kinds okay. of people and you know you may be listening to i'm not disparaging you by any means I'm but sure just so you some get people who went to the other event uh mm-hmm. le soir noir also perhaps could have been i i wanted to go to that but unfortunately i couldn't make it yeah. uh but yes uh i have pictures of these people just pouring over this this video of the to be frank nonsense bear cgi that we put up right. as if they were trying to dr- what could it mean like what what is it what 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 is the artist statement here so you had them stroking their goatees and oh yeah taking, yeah and yeah. The, again there's photographic documentation of this happening <laughs> with the full-on view of the screen with the bear and the small child uh, again, uh, I am an artist who has had their work featured in the Vancouver Art Gallery, so please get in touch if you would like to get me a job. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, we, we came back later. Um, it was still happening. And when we left the Vancouver Art Gallery, uh, it had been hijacked by a group of young women who were using it to play Destiny's Child and Beyonce. Okay. So that's how. Well, okay. So I want to ask you, just in, in the one minute we've got left here, mm-hmm. Is this okay? Like, like someone could say that their installation is no different than, you know, a more traditional, like a painting or mm-hmm. something like that. And you came and put your poster on, on right in front of the I would say, th- to this, I would say the theme of the event is disruption. And not that I was doing something particularly disruptive, but they did give you a mouse. So they wanted you to have some degree of interactivity with the project. Mm-hmm. And again, this is assuming that they wouldn't just be like, oh, well, that's what we wanted. We wanted someone to really which mess they, with it. Which perhaps they Is would, li- yeah. likely what they would say. Uh, but assuming that you are meant to interact with it in some way, I would suggest that there is a serious epistemological flaw with the art project if upon interacting with it too much, you completely break it. And you cannot even 
return it to its normal state. So they give you control because they give you enough control to like click on things, but they don't, they restrain you too. They want, they don't want you to have too much control. And what that did is just absolutely make it so that the project could be broken because now it cannot be fixed without a total restarting of the computer. And in such a packed event, uh, understaffed likely who has the time to go and do that. Uh, so I, I, my question there would be how much is this project actually, if that is indeed what mm-hmm. their concern would be, how much of this project can it actually purport to be in favor of an, epistemolo- an epistemology of disruption when it does not itself hold scrutiny to that degree of investigation is my question. Well, and I think we'll, we'll leave it on that question. John Q, thank you for reporting on yeah, the 10th anniversary yeah, of the Thank Fuse you for Festival. having me. Um, All right. Now, are you ready? Now, if this smoky jazz means anything to you, as it does to me, it can mean only that it is time for Andy Ta to tell us about the Film Noir Festival at the Pacific Cinematheque. So... Last Saturday, uh, Christine and I, who is not here, uh, shout outs to her, we watched two movies at the Film Noir Festival at the Cinematheque, the first of which was In a Lonely Place, directed by Nicholas Ray, starring Humphrey Bogart and Gloria Graham as Dixon Steele and Laurel Gray. So, Humphrey Bogart plays a screenwriter, who, a veteran screenwriter, who really hasn't had a hit in a while since before the war, they say. But he's, you know, he's chugging along. He's he has his friends. He's um pressured to make a movie, actually, an adaptation of a novel that he doesn't want to read. So he gets the coat hanger girl, who has read the novel, to come over to his house and read him a story. Mm. And this coat hanger girl, she does this. And you think, oh, oh, he just wants to sleep with her, which is probably true. But he sees another woman across, uh, across the, in the apartments he lives. And he sees, oh, this lady is much more attractive, I guess. And he sends the girl home. And the next day, the girl dies. She's murdered. And obviously, he is the main suspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of the, the premise. Of and it. so this is classic film noir. This is smoky jazz, black and white, crime, femme fatale, you know, grisly, macho guy center who is right all along and, you know, but the world's out to get him. Kind of, but not really. <laughs> so the, you think that the girl he sees in across the, uh, the apartment window is, is the femme fatale. She's like a very beautiful... She's um she's a bit more adult than the the coat hanger girl of course, but she turns out to be um just the kind of a B level B B list actress I guess mm-hmm. you would say, and she's nice. They end up like having making making um a nice domestic life together for a minute while um Dixon Steele uh, Humphrey Bogart's character battles these accusations against him. Right. But at the same time, he's um. He's also, you find out he's a very violent man. He's all he has all these charges um, that were never uh, really led to anything. But the police have all these files on him. They're really out to get him. And the girl is, um, she ends up falling in love with Dixon Steele, even as he. But at the same time, like the the woman um, Laurel Gray, she 
she's, she's pressured by the police chief to maybe sus, 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 suspect uh, to dig up any dirt, like to yeah. try and help their case against and him. And she kind of has her doubts about him too. Mm-hmm. You know, you see, you see uh, the Humphrey Bogart character. He he's very violent. He you know one night he's mad and he just like almost beats a man to death. You know, and it's kind of like that. We see um, this very Hollywood in this classical sense life between the two characters kind of dismantle because of these the suspicion well so last week we talked about the film noir festival we just briefly touched on it and we we tried to come up with a definition for film noir because we think of these detective 1940s 1950s black and white movies um we think of maybe if it's not just a genre specifically then it 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 might be a mood or um maybe a a feeling were you able to to come up with a definition for film noir you know not really because a lot of the elements of film noir have trickled down to to modern modern movies and i think that real purists would only consider movies from this period from mm-hmm. the 40s and 50s to be true film noir after that even with you know Chinatown or yeah or stuff neo like, yeah, neo noir like once you get to like a decade or two off you're in a whole different territory. Well, that's interesting because this year for the um, film noir festival at the Cinematheque, they do have a couple films that veer away from that, and and one subgenre perhaps is the psycho western, um, and the psycho western keeps some of the the moodiness, the cynicism, and the um, sort of the fatalistic elements that you you see in film noir. And another genre is is the neo noir, and part of that is the nineteen seventies paranoid conspiracy film. Um, and tonight and tomorrow, there are a couple movies being well that they're playing. One is Parallax, the Parallax View, which is directed by Alan. Um, uh, Peculia, and it was from 1974, and it's described as an acid trip political thriller. And this is really interesting because these uh, 1970s paranoid conspiracy movies are coming out in the same time that Watergate's happening, and the whole government is involved in a national scandal. And there are conspiracies. There's journalists meeting, you know, sources in an underground alley at 2 a.m., and they're spilling secrets on the government um and there's also um yeah and and chinatown might be part of that too 1974 it came out sure yeah yeah actually one thing about the the film norris both of the films i saw that i thought was super interesting was that they kind of maybe poke fun at themselves hmm. um i think we might have an uh an idea of noir as this very masculinist fantasy right this way in which you know hard men are making the right decisions everyone around me is an idiot but with uh the movie i the first movie i saw um in a lonely place we see humphrey bogart whose face is like made out of rock in this in this movie he's like 50 years old his his leading woman is like only 27 i think but he's like an old man and the trauma that he has that comes from the war it's implied very heavily really can't be fixed he's a broken man it's admitted i think by the end of the of the movie which i won't give away 
And the second movie I saw, um, The Woman in the Window, has a very similar kind of thing. And that's even, that comes even more out of the, the last-minute twist, which I also can't give away, I guess. But the idea that noir in itself, you know, the femme fatale, these, these tropes are ultimately, you know, fantasy. Mm-hmm. Well, then why is it that we um, are, are drawn to this aesthetic? Like, we, we, you get something out of the film noir festival that you don't get out of, you know, the modern blockbuster film, the summer blockbuster or, or whatever. And, but it's, there, you know, a, a modern liberal audience will just totally, you'd think, perhaps be turned off by the rampant misogyny and, um, kind of predictable tropes that are played out in these movies. What do, what do we get when we go see the film noir festival? I think you get a little bit of um, the undermining of, of those of the of the misogyny in some ways. The ways in which these you know white male protagonists are also like losing power in a world that is quickly changing, a post war world. And part of like the neo noirs is that well, some of the the worst ones I would guess um, would be that they take the aesthetics of of the film noirs of the original film noirs without also you know adapting to the modern realities of race and gender they're just like taking it wholesale right Mm. that's i think one of the criticisms of last season of true detective which i I will not say again on this show but (laughs) yeah well very interesting um we have a pair of tickets to give away for the film noir festival and so if you, there's still a few days left at the Cinematheque. There's some great films. Um, the one that I mentioned, uh, The Parallax View, is playing tonight at 6.30 and tomorrow at 8.35. There are, uh, and that would be in the, the neo-noir category. There's also some classic noir still to come at the Cinematheque. And if you would like uh, to win a pair of tickets, email us arts at citr.ca with the subject heading film noir yeah it's it's really cool like there's i think two two billings every every day so one at like 6 30 ish the other at 8 30 ish yeah you should check it out something like that well um film noir festival happening right now at the pacific cinematheque All right, you are tuned in to The Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver, and we're, of course, broadcasting live from unceded Musqueam territory in Vancouver. Uh, Now, I also went to go see a film um, this week, this past week, at the Vancouver International Film Festival Theatre, and the film that I saw was uh, an adaptation of Khalil Gibran's the Prophet. Now, in 1923, Khalil Gibran, a Lebanese-American philosopher and poet, he wrote a book of poems called The Prophet, and the book has placed Gibran as uh, number three on the list of all-time best-selling poets, um, only behind uh, Billy Shakespeare and Lao Tzu. 
So in 2015, they, an animated film adaptation of the book was produced by Selma Hayek, who also voices one of the central characters. Um, Liam Neeson is also a voice, as is the guy who plays Jim on The Office. He was one of the voices. Um, and the film is directed by one of the co-directors of The Lion King, Roger Allers. Um, so I didn't know anything about this book before going to see the film other than I recognized it because uh, at my parents' house for years it was on the bathroom shelf um, and so it was sort of somewhere in my mind I knew about it um, and thought it kind of looked interesting but never actually read it and looking at the trailer it's interesting because it's like this is supposed to be a really um, the book has never been out of print since 1923 and except for a brief period around that time, it's also never been advertised at all. So it's a it's a really successful book. And, you know, I, I assumed that it was probably an important piece of, you know, American literature or something. Um, but this movie was just total rubbish. And <laughs> I, I, I can't stress that enough. Um, the... I, I kind of thought going into it, I knew that there were going to be... Um, I knew that it... Well, it looked kind of interesting because the animation is a mix of this sort of framing narrative that is um, 3D rendering of a story of this town, and that's where Liam Neeson shows up and, and everything. Um, and the frame story is this prophet, um, um, Mustafa is what they call him, and he is in exile in this... Um, place called Orphalese, which is a sort of eastern Mediterranean city, and he is um, exiled and in he's arrested and has been for a very long time. And his charge is in citing riots through his poems um, and undermining the government. Um, but the people all totally love him, and they they can't stop telling him how. Um, grateful they are for his poems and how he teaches them about life and everything and um, and they they just totally love him um, but it's it's just really really bad storytelling like it opens up with this little girl and there's like a market scene where all this calamity and action happens and um, you kind of think that it's going to be interesting and like like you can picture you know like Aladdin, and I'm sure Aladdin's got tons and tons of problems um, in and of itself, but it's it's a pretty well-told story, and it, it uses the cartoon format really well. But this one doesn't. It's it, Every character who this girl interacts with and kind of messes up their market is basically the same character with a different voice and shape. They all speak with the same voice, and um, and it's just just quite bad storytelling. Wait, so is it like a mix of live action and cartooning or is it like a frame story is only live action? There's no live action. So okay. it's a mix of uh, 3D rendered animation with um, with a different, a, a series of um, poems that are kind of set to different animations. So what happens is this Mustafa guy, he's going to be taken away to um, to a ship to be taken home because they've decided to free him is the story. And he's going to go away to his, his condition is that he never returns and they take him on a ship straight to his home. And as he's walking down, 
he interacts with these people and they have conversations about life and love and children and on marriage and work and death. And each of these conversations, the camera does the same fade out to the right. It zooms in on a particular thing and it morphs into an animation. And there were a series of different animations. So you you call it rubbish. What that, that, that's quite strong. Uh, and was that a verbal flourish, or because you know you're describing it, and it sounds like it's maybe not the most cohesive and well put together. But like, well, what was it that drove you to? Well, it's in, in, like give us an, a specific instance of. It's interesting because every time they had a poem. And they did this camera phase, and you know a poem's coming, and you know it's going to be about five minutes long. And each one starts with this Liam Neeson poet character speaking the words of the poem, and then um, there are a couple song versions where a singer will repeat the same words you just heard, but in in verse, and it um, is just so tacky, and you know that it it just it um, stops any it just totally stalls the narrative from moving along mm-hmm. and and it really brought me out of it into the audience member or into back into the audience i josh was really larson. aware that i was watching a movie josh larson of larson on film calls it a particularly well designed series of inspirational posters yeah i'd say that that is an apt description mm. uh like the same kind of inspirational posters that you'd see on office walls. Well, that's the thing. These poems are, um, you, you'll, where you most hear these poems are like at funerals mm-hmm. and, you know, marriages and at, I don't know, christenings or whatever, where people want some words to, mm-hmm. to say. Um, and, and I think that I was in the minority because the woman next to me was actually crying. She was weeping at a couple different mm-hmm. points. And do you think that's because she was reminiscing over her history with that poetry and seeing its representation or the film in and of itself can do that to you? That's a really good question. I think that a lot of people in the audience likely had personal connections to the poem and someone behind me even preempted the first lines of one of the poems because she knew that a poem they was should have thrown her right out. They should have just... Chucked her out of the theater. Well, I I think that perhaps they were really weeping because the <laughs> storytelling was just so poorly. Yeah, all right, this, let's let's just pile on it now. And Liam Neeson acting? I don't think so. Like, I have a very particular set of skills. Uh, okay, now uh, we have we are at the end of our show, and we we don't even have time to talk about the little boy in Taipei who ruined a one point five million dollar piece of. You know, artwork. children should. 